congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 88 is probably not the most well-known song in the Bible. It's not one that we would easily memorize, like Psalm 23. And it has been called by some the darkest passage in Scripture. When you read these words, you wonder perhaps even why, why it's in the Bible. These are depressing words. Why are they recorded? At the same time, we recognize that Heman the Ezraite is expressing the real experience of many of God's children. Perhaps you can find yourself in these words as well. Some of you might be able to relate very well to what Heman writes. Perhaps you have been in a place where the darkness is your closest friend, or you know someone who's been there. Maybe you are there right now. And that's a lonely place to be if you suffer from depression or anxiety or some other form of mental illness. It's a lonely place to be. And that feeling of loneliness is probably or perhaps the most terrifying of all. You may have family and friends, people who love you, but you still feel very alone in that darkness. And when you are in that place, there seems like, it seems like there's no place to turn. So where do you go? Where do you go with your anguish and your fears? Well, Congregation Psalm 88 teaches us where to go. It teaches us to turn to the Lord. It teaches us where to go for help when we're in the bottom of the pit. The true source of help is with the Lord, Yahweh the God of our salvation. So I proclaim to you the word of God. The spirit of God teaches us to cry out to the Lord from our darkest place. And we will see how the psalmist describes what it is to cry out from the darkness and how he describes crying out to the Lord. So the psalmist here is describing what it is like to live in the darkness. It's a brave thing for him to do because it can be a difficult thing to talk about. It often happens that those of us who experience darkness don't dare to talk about it, and those who have never experienced it or not as badly, we don't want to talk about it. And that's often because those of us who have not experienced things as darkly as, as the psalmist has experienced it, we, we just don't get it. And when we don't get it, then we don't want to talk about it. We'd rather ignore it. Either that or we come with pat answers, easy answers for someone else's problems. We often react in those two ways when we don't understand someone else's suffering. That's what happened to Job, for example. Job lost all his wealth, he lost his servants, he lost his children and his health. And then his friends came to visit him and for the first seven days they just sat there and said nothing. But the second way that we often react to suffering is, which we don't understand, we, we sometimes react as if, if we, as if we do understand. We tell people what their problem is, and we even have the, the solution for them, even though we haven't had the courtesy to ask them what it's all about. 
That's the position Job's friends reverted to after they were quiet for an entire week. They started telling him that they had his life all figured out. They told him why it was that he was, all this was happening to him. Perhaps it would have been much more comforting for Job if they had just kept quiet. And what happens when we react that way to someone? We end up pushing people away. Job, Job got angry with his friends, didn't he? And we end up isolating the very people who need our company and our encouragement and our prayers. And the psalmist, he is telling us what that's like. He tells us what it feels like to live in the darkness. And at its very worst, it's like being dead on the inside. Haman the Ezraite is constantly talking about death. Notice how often he refers to death. It might be good if you keep your Bibles open as we go through this psalm. In verse 3, my life draws near to Sheol. Right? The Old Testament term Sheol is used to refer to the realm of the dead. Haman's soul is full, so full of distress, he, he can feel Sheol. It's as if he can touch death. And this, then verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. That's another picture of death, a, a place that has a sign at the entrance, abandon all hope, you who enter here. And he says, I am a man who has no strength. He can't do anything. He doesn't feel like doing anything. That's so true of people who suffer from depression, right? Depression and fatigue often go hand in hand. You want to be left alone. You don't feel like going to work. You don't feel like going to any parties. You don't want to go out with your friends. You don't feel like doing anything. You want to shut yourself up in a corner. And in verses 5 and 6, he continues to compare himself to the dead. He's alive, but he feels dead. He's alive, but the will to live is gone. The darkness has sucked all the life out of him, all the joy out of his life. He's alive, but his mind is in the grave. Even when he's walking in the daylight, he is in the darkness. When your soul is in the deepest pit, in the bottom of the pit, this is how you experience life. You feel as if you are the dead among the living. And then there are the broken relationships because in death there are no relationships. In death one is alone. So in this deep dark place, at its very worst, there are no friends. It even feels like God is no longer there. Verse, verse 5, like those, I am like those whom you remember no more. Cut off from your hand. So what the psalmist is saying here is that he no longer experiences the love and the companionship of his heavenly father. He experiences that God is angry. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. So he has ex- his experience is that, that God is abandoning him. That's, that's what it feels like. And at the same time, he says, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. And in verse 18... You have caused my closest companion, my beloved, and my friend to shun me. So he's lost his friends and his companions and even his beloved, his closest companion. They're all gone. And now he's alone. And the darkest darkness is his closest companion. Well, brothers and sisters, some of you probably know very well what the psalmist is describing And to one degree or another, we all experience dark moments. In God's mercy, 
though we have not all experienced the darkness the way Heman describes it. But on the other hand, some of you know exactly what he's talking about. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you know someone who's been there. And again, where do we turn? Where do we go with our anguish and our fear? To whom do we cry out? What does the child of God do when he or she is in this place? Well, congregation, in spite of what it might seem like, this psalm is not without hope. And it speaks of confidence in the Lord. The spirit-inspired psalmist points us to the answer, and the answer is that we call out to God. We call out to the God of light and life. He is the only one who can turn darkness into light. That's our second point. The psalmist is remarkably honest, but hidden within that honesty is a most comforting and all-pervading truth. And that truth is that in spite of where the psalmist is, and in spite of how he feels that he is experiencing God's friendship, he is still praying to God. The child of the Lord is crying out to the Lord from the darkness. Notice how the psalm begins. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. He is addressing the Lord. And again in verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. And again in verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. So we find this repeated refrain in the psalm, this refrain of crying out to the Lord. And you will have noticed in your Bible that the Lord, the word Lord is in all capital letters. It's a reference to the Hebrew name of the Lord, the covenant name of God, the name Yahweh. That's God's personal name. It's the name by which he revealed himself to Moses and Israel when he delivered his people from Egypt. I am who I am. I will be whom I will be. I am the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So this psalm is a cry out to Yahweh. And why does the psalmist cry out to Yahweh? It's because he knows that he is a child of the Lord. And as a child of the Lord, he knows that God is his Father in heaven. And that Father has made a covenant with his people. And that God has promised, I will be faithful to you, my child. And it's that faithfulness, brothers and sisters, it is that faithfulness that is the basis of this cry from the darkness. The faithfulness of the Lord is the reason that you can cry out to the Lord from your own darkness. It is his faithfulness that makes all the difference in the world. The fact that you can count on him makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? When you are in the pit, when you are in the darkness, when you are facing your greatest struggles, when depression shatters your world, when broken relationships shatter your heart, when disease destroys your body and your bodily functions, then don't you want to be sure of God's faithfulness? When you're at the end of your rope, don't we want to be sure of God's faithfulness? Isn't that what we need to know, that the Lord is faithful? Because in the very worst of circumstances, if God is not faithful, then what do you have left? Nothing. If that were true, 
then you would be in an eternal pit. But thank the Lord that's not true for the believer. That is not true if you trust in the Lord. It doesn't mean, of course, that God's children never have these struggles. Never struggle with darkness or, or depression. Just look at verses 10 through 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? These are the kinds of thoughts that come to you when you are in the pit. You wonder if God is going to come and help you. You wonder why his help is so long in coming. Does the Lord do wonders for the dead? Is the Lord just going to let you end up in the cemetery where there are no choirs to praise him? Isn't it true, congregation, that sometimes there's, there seems to be such a vast difference between the God whom we confess and then how we experience him in our everyday life? Such a difference between what the Lord promises and how we experience those promises. And the emphasis then is on the word seems to be. And the psalmist is struggling with this too. Where, O Lord, is your steadfast love? Where is your faithfulness? Where is your comforting presence? And yet notice that at the same time he acknowledges that the Lord is sovereign over his entire life. Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me. And again, verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. And verse 18, you have caused my companions to shun me. He acknowledges that it is the Lord who is in control. The Lord is the one who rules his life. Nothing happens to him outside of God's control. He says, Lord, you have done this to me. You are sovereign over my life. And even over my darkness. And nothing happens to me without your will. The psalmist is saying, Lord, I am in the pit because you put me here. I am in the darkness because you put me here. I am in terrible distress because you have caused this to happen to me. I am depressed. You have given me this cross to bear. I suffer from anxiety. You have given me this burden to bear. Lord, this disease is is eating away at my body because you have brought this affliction upon me. The psalmist knows what we confess in Lord's Day 10. Nothing happens to us by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Those are very familiar words to us, comforting words, because they are so true. And so there's only one place to go when you are in the darkness. And that is to your faithful and sovereign God who is in control over all things in your life, also the dark things in your life. And so you cry out to him because he is faithful and sovereign, but also because he is the God of your salvation. Verse 1, the psalmist knows that too. O Lord, God of my salvation. 
And there's your answer to the question, where is God in Psalm 88? He's there. He is the God of salvation. And the psalmist knows this too. He knows whom, to whom he is praying. He knows who the Lord is. He knows that the Lord is the redeemer of his people. He is the God who saved his people, who brought them out of Egypt with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm out of that fiery furnace. He is the God of salvation. And the psalmist says, you are the God of my salvation. It's personal. So what is he saying here? He said, Lord, you are my God. Even in the darkness, even in the darkness, in my darkness, I trust you. And this is how he begins his cry from the darkness. Even when he's in the depths of despair, this is how he begins his cry, O Lord, God of my salvation, God, my Redeemer. Even in his worst moments, he still believes that the Lord is his Savior. I trust in you, O Lord. I trust your faithfulness. I trust your care for me. No matter how deep the darkness, no matter how deep the pit, you are my Savior. You are the God who turns my darkness into light. And brothers and sisters, that is true for us as well. You can cry out to God because He is your faithful God. He is the God of your salvation. That is a truth that no darkness can hide. And so the psalmist turns to the Lord to save him. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And yet we cannot fail to notice that the psalm doesn't end in light, but it ends in darkness. Those last words seem so final. The darkness is my only or my closest companion. There's no happy ending to this psalm. What are we to make of that? Is the psalmist wrong? Does the Lord not answer his prayers? Does the Lord not hear? Well, we have to remember that we don't read this psalm in isolation from the rest of Scripture. Just look at the next psalm, for example. The very first verse, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Certainly that psalm is an answer to Psalm 88, is it not? And so we have to think of Psalm 88 as a realistic expression of the experience of some of God's children. Sometimes in his providence the Lord has a plan for your life that you will suffer. Perhaps even for a large portion of your life. And we all suffer, but some of us suffer more intensely than others. He writes in verse 15 that he was afflicted and close to death from his youth. The psalmist struggled with living in the darkness from when he was a young man. But he does know who his God is. And beloved brothers and sisters, we also have the assurance that the Lord is the God of our salvation. He is with you in the darkness. In your darkness, in your fear, in your anxiety, in your loneliness, he is there. And that's the key take-home message of this psalm, I believe. In spite of the dark ending of the psalm, the psalm is not about hopelessness. It's, It's about knowing God even in our worst situations. It's about knowing and believing that God is your Father in heaven 
even in the darkest moments of your life? And of course, that begs the question, well, how can we be sure of that? How can we really know that? How can I know that the Lord is the God of my salvation? Well, the simplest answer is that we know this from his word. Their God reveals himself as the covenant-keeping God. He reveals himself as your Savior and your Heavenly Father. Every page of Scripture speaks of his abiding love and his steadfast faithfulness towards his people. And this is what we need to know and believe, congregation. This is what we need to know before trouble comes. That we get our theology right before the Lord takes one of our loved ones. Before he sends a disease, before he puts you in the pit. You need to know this. Do you know the Lord as the God of your salvation? Do you know the comfort of knowing Jesus Christ and belonging to him, the only comfort that we have in life and death, in darkness and grief, that we know that he is the faithful God of our salvation? And above all else, our highest comfort is to know that he sent his son into this world to die for us, to rescue us from the pit of the darkness of sin. And when you read his word, you find out how the Son of God came down from heaven, came onto this earth. He came to live in this sin-filled world, this world filled with darkness and anxiety, so full of fear and pain. And there in his word, you read how the Son of God experienced Psalm 88 to the fullest. He experienced this psalm like you and I never have and never will have to experience it. Surely, congregation, this is Christ's psalm. Hundreds of years before Christ came to earth, the Spirit of Christ inspired Haman to write these words. And if anyone could take the words of Psalm 88 upon his lips, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. He has experienced everything described in this psalm. He has been there. When you pray in deepest anguish, when you cry out to God from your darkness... He knows what you are going through because he has been there. He has gone through the darkest darkness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, already he felt God's wrath sweeping over him, and he prayed, my soul is greatly troubled, even unto death. He could touch death. He felt Sheol coming. And he was shunned by his friends. God made him a horror to his companions. He was abandoned. And he was let loose among the dead, and God's wrath hung heavy upon him. And he experienced darkness, darkness brought on him by his own father. Because when he hung on the cross, the father turned his face away from him, and he caused the light of the sun to turn into oppressive darkness, so terrible, so agonizing, that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And congregation, this was God's purpose for his son. This was foreordained. This is why God sent him into this world, to experience that pit. It's why the son of God became the son of man, born of a virgin Mary. 
He came to us and he humbled himself. He did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he willingly set aside his glory so that he could experience Psalm 88 for you and for me. Christ can truly say, God has put me in the darkness. He has cast my soul away. The Lord has hidden his face from me. His wrath has swept over me. And so he entered Sheol, the realm of the dead. And he experienced the horrifying anguish of hell itself. So Jesus Christ can rightly say that all these horrifying, anguish-laden words in Psalm 88, he can say, I fulfilled this. I did this. More than any of us could ever be, he is the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief, as Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah also says it was the will of God to crush him. It was the will of God to crush him. And his soul made an offering for our guilt. God crushed him under his eternal wrath and anger. But you know, congregation, the glorious news is that scripture never ever speaks of children of God that way. It is not God's will to completely crush you. Remember that. Especially when you come to a place of darkness. It was God's will that Christ experienced the darkness of God-abandonment so that we never have to experience being separated from our Father in heaven. And so you may believe that your Heavenly Father will not crush you because He has already crushed His one and only Son by sending Him into the darkness, eternal darkness He experienced in your place. And so it is in the darkness of the cross that the brightness, the bright light of the gospel begins to shine at its most bright. The darkness of Christ's grave could not prevent the light of God from penetrating. Christ rose on the third day. Even in the darkness of Christ's grave, God was there. God's light removed the darkness. And so you know what that means, brothers and sisters. That means that God is present in the darkness. That means your Father in heaven is present in your darkness too. He is always busy for you. So he is also working in your darkness. He reveals himself in his word as the God who is at work in our lives, in our troubles, in our fears, in our anxieties, in our darkest moments. And if we ever have any doubts about that, then all we need to do with our thoughts is turn toward Golgotha. And the cross of Jesus Christ. And turn in our thoughts toward Easter morning. In his sovereign faithfulness, God made a plan to penetrate the darkness of this sin-filled world. To penetrate the darkness of our sin-filled souls. And in his sovereign faithfulness, the light of God's love also penetrates our darkness. And our anxieties and our fears and our doubts. He is never absent from us. When he ascended into heaven, the Lord Jesus told his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you until the end of the age. And when he ascended into heaven, he left us with a gift. 
He sent his spirit onto the church. He left us with the spirit of light. Lord Jesus is the light of the world. And and he gave us the spirit of light. And the spirit was sent to dwell in us as our faithful comforter. And so you see, congregation, the Lord is indeed the God of our salvation. He made a sovereign plan to deal with the darkness of sin. And he has done that in his son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to him, our sins are forgiven and taken away. But his sovereign plan includes dealing with your darkness and fears too. With psalmist, with the psalmist of Psalm 88, we confess that the Lord, our Savior, is sovereign. Not only over the darkness of our sins, but also over the darkness of our fears and anxieties. And at the same time, we confess that in Christ Jesus, he is faithful in our darkness, in our fears and in our anxieties. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. And that's why we can go to him and we can go to Christ in our prayers because he has overcome the darkness and he is at work in our darkness. Amen.